Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, and I'm on the phone with Brian. And this week, we're going to be talking about the 1986 science fiction horror film The Fly, directed and co-written by David Cronenberg and starring Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and John Getz. In this loose remake of the 1958 film, a scientist accidentally fuses his genes with that of an insect, causing his new girlfriend and her ex-boyfriend some added grief. If you're new to our show, we're going to have a spoiler-free discussion at the top of the episode, then we'll take a quick break, and then we'll dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. To discuss this classic Cronenberg film, we have a very special guest joining us. We'd like to welcome Jason Deichler to the show. He's co-owner of the horror-themed coffee shop, The Brood, which is located here in Chicago in the neighborhood of Avondale. And he's also a DJ. So welcome to the show, Jason. Hello. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's really cool to, to have uh, a guest for this episode. Um, you're actually the first guest I feel like I've actually met in person. So I was kind of worried that you weren't going to show up because, yeah, <laughs> thanks thanks for coming back. To this yeah, for show. sure. Yeah, well, nice to meet you in person and then uh, now digitally. So here we are. Yeah, yeah, cool. And uh, before uh, we d- jump into the movie and the background of it, um, love to hear more from you in terms of uh, your background, your connection with horror. Uh, what inspired you to start a horror-themed coffee shop? Uh, yeah, what, what do you got for us? Awesome. Uh, yeah, so uh, my dad was a big, like, you know, 50s and 60s B-horror film fan growing up, so he kind of instilled that into me, like, make me, like, my favorite monster is the Creature of Black Lagoon. That was one my dad used to show to me. Um, so, yeah, just kind of went from there, just watching a lot of Ray, Ray, Ray Harryhausen movies and, like, Universal Monster stuff, and then eventually found my way into the 80s slashers and not the films of the 90s, and then been a diehard horror fan ever since i was a kid also a special shout out to godzilla not quite horror but you know adjacent enough um and then yeah it's from from being a horror fan i just met other horror fans and i worked for a company called creepy co here in chicago they're like a horror uh house goods and clothing brand um and then jen my other partner from bric-a-brac worked there part-time with me and uh we'd always joke about going to work like one day we should open up our own coffee shop and uh, her partner, Nick, uh, pandemic happened. Everything got locked down as a DJ. That dried up. Nick's uh, other, his other job dried up. And uh, Brickerback slowed down. So we just decided to kind of put all our eggs in the basket and uh, look into starting a coffee shop. And we saw a bunch of uh, cool locations. We ended up where we are now, over at uh, 2843 Milwaukee in Avondale. And uh moved over there. And then we soon followed the brood. And uh, here we are. That's a year, awesome. a year and a few months later. Wow, cool. Uh, congratulations. That's something awesome kind of being born out of the pandemic. That, that's yeah. really neat. Thank you. Uh, I, I used to go to Brick and Brack uh, at their old location, and it was, it was so cool to see them open up again in, in like this nice space and then with the coffee shop next door. That's like the, the ideal combination. That's really cool. Yeah, it's going to come out better. It's, just been, it's been fantastic. Yeah, great. And you guys have like some really cool memorabilia, and you do events there as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Really building a horror community. Uh, Brian's been building a community on our side on the Discord site. Um, are you on Discord at all? I am on Discord. Oh, uh, a... yeah, it kind of got lumped into Discord during the lockdown. Um, if you ask me what my handle is on Discord, I don't remember. It's probably DJ Intel or something. I, it's I'm auto logged in, so I just kind of go from there. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fun space. Um, and uh, I, I, yeah, last question for you, being uh, a coffee shop owner, uh, what is your favorite coffee drink? 
so yeah, this is it's funny to say. Like people always ask me, like, what's your favorite drink here? I'm like, I'm a very simple person. I just like a nice drip coffee or a pour over, uh, just black coffee. But if I'm gonna go, if I'm gonna go fancy, I will say our, our new drink, the Skull Island, which is a banana mocha, is quite tasty, iced or hot. Oh, nice. That sounds delicious. Purist on the drip coffee. Brian, you uh, you drink, you, you got off coffee, right? I don't drink a whole lot of coffee. I occasionally go to a local coffee shop around here, and uh, actually our Discord server likes to give me shit because I told him I order a decaf half-sweet soy milk latte <laughs> pumpkin <laughs> spice. So, oh, Jason, I, I wanted to ask you, like, is that okay? Would you be really angry with me if I were to ask for that at your coffee uh, shop? Uh, the extra sweet part, I'm not sure what exactly you're you're, you're going for in that part but i uh, would be mad at all we, we do decaf drinks all the time all right cool yeah, yeah. cool now i know it's a safe <laughs> space if i want to go there and hang out amongst yeah. the horror memorabilia we, we, we don't have a decaf drip on hand but we do have a decaf espresso so we can make you an americano or a, a decaf latte or you know whatever we also have matcha and teas so you know if you're not a coffee person we have other options for you big tea guy i'm, I'm gonna be on a flight tomorrow Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, I feel like when I order a coffee or, or like a drink at a bar, sometimes you always like worry about the judgment uh, coming back on you for you order. It's it's like, hey, you know, I I was uh, I was reading an article the other day about on BuzzFeed. I think that like you're not supposed to order cortados. Is is that right? Is there like a prejudice against them or something? We don't have cortados at the brood. It's just uh, it's a it's a whole another glassware situation. Um, and yeah. I, you know, I know that like coffee uh nerds whatever you want to call them or say like it's the perfect amount of milk and the perfect amount of espresso and it's like the perfect yin and yang harmony coming together but yeah. the, one of the reasons we don't don't really have them um is that you have to steam like you know you're two ounces of espresso and you have your you have to steam like four ounces of milk to, to make the right amount of perfect you know milk to espresso ratio so you end up dump you end up dumping like two ounces of milk which doesn't seem like a lot, but like you do that, you know, hundred times a day, it adds yeah. up. So it's just kind of a waste of resources and expensive. So we just kind oh, of wow. Yeah, no, that's yeah. good to know. Yeah, damn, I'll have to amend my order now going forward. Um, <laughs> you, you wasteful bastard. <laughs> yeah, and all that milk that's just getting. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, uh, yeah, jumping into this film then, and David Cronenberg. So um, I, I think you guys are both Cronenberg fans. I mean. Uh, Jason, you've named your shop the Brood uh, in reference to his film, I imagine. Yes, yes. So we are, we are. Uh, this is Nick's genius idea. I was, the one thing he had to say was like, "We're naming the coffee shop the Brood," and I was like, "I love it." It's one of, <laughs> it's a, it's a probably like, saw the Brood the first time in college, like in a weird horror film history class, which is weird that my college offered that, but they did. Big ups to Columbia College Chicago. You know, we do weird things there, and uh, yeah, I watched the Brood, and I loved it ever since then. You know, the 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 odd day for night, and just all the just the weird body horror that goes into it. So yeah, yeah, the brood uh, is slowly named after the brood, well, and yeah, now we also we okay. also opened on Cronenberg's birthday, which is the the brood's anniversary and David Cronenberg's anniversary or birthday on the same day. Oh, when is that? Nice, uh, March fifteenth. Oh, okay, nice. I oh, missed it. Uh, and is Cronenberg like your favorite horror director then? Uh, not my favorite horror director. I, uh, I'm not sure if I, have, if I have a specific favorite horror director, but he's definitely in the in the top ten for sure. Got it. Cool. Uh, Brian, I feel like you've mentioned he's coming to the top of your list. Is that right? Yeah, the more of his movies I watch, he's he's creeping towards the top. I'm kind of in Jason's boat. Like I, I hesitate to say a favorite, but he'd be in contention. Yeah. But man, okay. he's so prolific. I still haven't seen, you know, I've seen like 11 of his films. I think that's only like half. Yeah. And he's, and he's kind of like, in his later age, he's kind of 
left the horror genre, did some kind of more straightforward, like some gangster stuff and some just kind of cool drama stuff. And then I was sort of creeping back into the weird body horror again. Right. And like yeah. crimes, of, crimes of the future, like like 80 years old or whatever. Like that's insanity. <laughs> yeah. Is he have, uh, do you guys know if he's got like another project coming up? I'm probably, I'm, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I just, I saw, I was just glancing at his Wikipedia page before we started. Like, how many movies does he have? And I saw, like, a TBA, TBA to be announced. So, there might be yeah. something coming. You never know how reliable that is. But mm-hmm. Damn. Good yeah, man, yeah. He's, he's getting up there. He is. Oh, Brian, I was listening to our, uh, I think the, the second or third episode we did when we kicked off this uh, podcast in, like, 2018 was on Videodrome. Videodrome, right? That's what it's yeah. called? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's embarrassing. Like, yeah, Jason, you definitely don't want to listen to it. But it's it's like the first uh, movie uh, of his that we we're covering on the podcast. And uh, I think Brian was explaining what body horror was to me. Uh, it was just yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy how little I knew about this guy. But it's, it sounds like you guys have seen a lot more of his work. I'm I'm uh, well versed or decently Great. versed. Cool. <laughs> All right. Good. 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 Uh, you guys get the Cronin boner jokes a lot. <laughs> We got those rocking. Okay. Uh, oh, th- so this was only his uh, 10th film. Uh, and then, Brian, you're saying like he's got like 30, 20, 30 films? He's got, I think he's got about 22 films. Okay, cool. Yeah, prolific for sure. Uh, have either of you guys seen the original 1958 film of The Fly? It's been a, a few years, but I've, I've definitely seen it a few times. I saw it recently. It's It's pretty decent as far as those like 50s science fiction horror movies mm-hmm. go a similar vibe or like completely different i mean the basic plot is similar i wouldn't call the vibe similar yeah. at all i know I mean, we, haven't, we haven't quite dove into the 86 fly yet but i know like the original screenplay was closer to the 50s version than, than like the Cronenberg rewrite oh it's like more true to the book the, the yeah seven books yeah okay yeah I get, I get the sense like uh yeah his rewrite uh it kind of like stretches out the transformation of the guy to the fly versus is the 50s one like pretty immediate uh it's kind of stretched out but it's not as not as not so much body horror and like the falling apart and all you know clearly that's not in there but yeah okay got it um this one uh yeah just kind of reading the background of this um so 20 20th century fox were originally on board but it sounds like they read the script and pulled off of financing it so mel brooks stepped in I thought that's kind of wild. Like, uh, I, I didn't know he financed these types of movies. Uh, yeah. Are you guys surprised? Uh, I'm personally not surprised because I'm a uh, I'm a big Spaceballs fan, the last Brooke films. But they also made this movie called Solar Babies, which I was a big fan of when I was a kid, which is about, like, these weird desert-dwelling roller skating people. <laughs> kind of like Rollerball, but not quite Rollerball. But they're in the desert. It's bizarre. It's it's a, it's a not a good watch, but it's a fun watch. But yeah. I think Brooke's, Brooke's films was behind that. And they also produce... Uh, the elephant man, the, the uh, um, oh, David, David Lynch. Lynch. Yeah. 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 That was oh, okay, films. Okay. So he got a few Oscars. So, you know, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize they dabbled in that. That's pretty neat. Um, and then uh, Cronenberg, I, I didn't know this either. He was uh, busy at the time when they started working on this. He was uh, on Total Recall, but uh, ended up splitting away from that. And then he was available for this film. Uh, did you guys know that he was he was uh, part of Total Recall in the beginning? I did not know that. No, I never knew that. I didn't get the full story there. I don't know if he was like in talks with it and then they parted ways. Yeah, it sounds like that's what happened, right? Probably. Yeah, I feel like that would have been a whole different film. With yes. Him. So I so saw he so like Paul Verhoeven replaced Cronenberg. Is that kind of what happened? 
I think so. He's uh, that's the guy who directs Total Recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he must have stepped in after. Uh, I, I think Kronberg had like a difference of opinion, maybe with uh, someone else uh, behind the scenes there. And gotcha. Walked, they, yeah, they split up, I guess. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, and then, yeah, a number of screenwriters. It seems like the, this went back and forth between the main guy, Charles as Edward Pogue, uh, originally wrote the script, and he was in and out. And then Cronenberg came and wrote his version off of Charles's version. So I, I think what you have, like the finished product, seems like a, a mix of a few things. Have either of you seen some of like the deleted scenes that got cut from the Cronenberg original script, like that, like the monkey cat thing? Yeah, I've I've seen the monkey cat scene or like parts of it or whatever, like stills or whatever. But that's the only thing I've seen from like the, the cut stuff. Uh, cool. And Brian, have you seen that? No, I've never seen that. I didn't realize that existed and became pretty intrigued reading about that. Yeah. How How is it? Is it like pretty? Uh, yeah, it's 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 weird. You can kind of get why they took it out of the movie because then you know, it's, I think the reason they were saying is like it makes you know Jeff Goldblum's character seem a little more like just kind of twisted and. You know, you still need that human elephant so see element, so you feel a little better for him in the end. Oh, interesting. I mean, he kills a bunch of baboons, uh, but I guess the monkey cat's like going too far. I guess he yeah. only kills one baboon. Yeah, uh, that's and true. That's true. And he feels real bad about it. He does. Yeah, <laughs> he even apologizes to the other baboon. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, special effects were done by this guy Chris Wallace, who also did Gremlins. Um, you know, I, I feel like when we talk about 80s and, and special effects, uh, everyone talks about The Thing and John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, you don't hear too much about this film in, in that same conversation. Do you, do, do you or am I just missing out on it? Uh, it? It definitely comes up. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely in the body horror kind of genre. It's pretty well known, I think. And also, yeah. I will say shout out to Christopher Wallace because he's a uh, Chicago born and raised. So got that for a Chicago connection. Nice. nice. Is he still around? Uh, I don't think he's in Chicago anymore. I'm pretty uh, okay. sure he's out in LA. Got it. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this definitely gets brought up in the special effects discussions, but I feel like the thing overshadows the '80s special effects combo, yeah. and this one—I don't know, man. This was this is up there with the thing, in my opinion. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it is. Like I, yeah, I know. As a, a young Jason going to Universal Studios on a family vacation, uh, I made my whole family to drag him to the special effects makeup show they used to have there. And a big, large portion of it was all the fly. So damn, that's awesome. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Some really cool stuff going on behind this. Uh, yeah. On the special effects side, do you guys feel like uh sci-fi today? I know like uh slashers today are getting back into like practical effects, which is great. Right. Cause CGI kind of sucks. Um, do you feel like you're see- seeing that in like sci-fi as well? And like this kind of like soccer, interesting, like practical effects. I, I think you're definitely starting to see more of like a hybrid, like mostly practical with kind of a CG kind of enhancing it or whatever. Not so much the straight, uh, just straight CGI out of the gate. I think, I think yeah. we've learned our, learned our lessons after that. The, the thing prequel remake, whatever you want to call it, where they were like, here's this amazing practical effects we did, but we're going to put really bad CG instead that no one likes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough sell. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that no, like 2000 to 2010 period was like a yeah. period of learning our lesson on like, okay, forget how much CGI we put in everything. Let's back it up. Actually, uh, not to digress from this movie, but I just watched a documentary about this guy. It's called Jurassic Jurassic Punk, about the guy who kind of like pioneered the uh, dinosaur effects for Jurassic Park. And uh, it kind of goes into the whole like, once we learned that we were able to do that, and then it goes into like the 2000, like, 
Scorpion King and all these really bad CG movies that came out. They're just like, we're, we apologize for, for making that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Taking responsibility. Uh, Jurassic Park, though, wasn't that mostly puppets? Like the, the, the 90s version? No, so so what I what I learned originally, speaking of the thing, uh, they had uh, yeah, probably part, I'm sorry, Star Wars and the thing is that Phil Tippett was doing a lot of the uh, like practical effects for it, and that was going to be the whole driving force for Jurassic Park. And then uh, this guy, uh, his name was uh, Chris Spaz, that's his nickname, Spaz, uh, on his off time was like, I'm going to still work on this computer modeling thing that you told me not to do, and then he did it, and then. Uh, uh, Kathleen Kennedy saw it and was like, this is amazing. Showed it to Spielberg and he was like, cool, this is what we're doing now. Puppets are out. Digital is in. Damn. Wow. Boy, yeah. poor and Phil. Then, yeah. Then we got a, a fun decade of that stuff. That was good. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're getting back into the practical effects stuff. Agree. Um, yeah. And then uh, let's see what else. Oh, commercial success. This made 60 million. Hey, when, when did you guys uh, first see this film? I think I first saw it with you, Ashvin, like a decade ago or something. Yeah, same. Uh, what, what about you, Jason? Yeah, I definitely didn't see it when it was released. I definitely saw it in the on a home video or whatever. Like, like, like in, in like the last ten. Probably. Years. Yeah, probably like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this wasn't like like a movie you guys grew up with then. No, not necessarily. No, I, like I knew of it and was like a fan of the effects, but didn't. I never actually really saw it. One of those kind of like when you're a kid and you're like. I love Freddy Krueger, but I've never actually seen the movie, but I know all about him. <laughs> yeah, you can hear about it. Right. Uh, yeah, Brian, what, what year did you and I watch this? Was that like 20, oh, 15, 14, 15? Probably like, yeah, somewhere around there. Uh, okay. But it was interesting because that was the first Cronenberg. Well, I guess I had seen History of Violence, but that was the first Cronenberg horror movie I had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then it's just really interesting to go watch like 10 more of those and then come back. Yeah. to this again and i'm like oh whoa like so cronenberg <laughs> i didn't yeah. know how cronenberg <laughs> this was when i saw it the first time yeah yeah same same uh yeah and, and so many like commonalities between this uh and yeah even like the, the the movie of his last year crime crimes of the future is that mm-hmm. that's what it was yes yeah cool all right uh so yeah so yeah this was a commercial success surprisingly when it came out uh, made 60 million on a budget of nine to 15 million so pretty neat uh i saw somewhere this was his first studio release but that can't be right can it hmm. yeah because yeah he definitely had i mean a bunch of films before this right yeah i mean i would say no it's possible this is his first major studio looking at the dead zone might have been that's right around the same time it's like 83 or so 84 i think dead okay. zone might have been might have been a studio release but it could be the fly might be might be the first one. That's yeah, possible. I would. It seems Dead Zone feels like a like big studio release a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's right. Okay. And the Brood was uh, before this as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah, the Brood yeah. was seventy eight. Okay, uh, yeah, no. 70, 79. 79. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and then on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a ninety two percent, so pretty pretty high acclaim for this film. Um, what are the background do you guys have on the, on this one? Uh, Not too much, man. I mean, just I think it's his most commercially successful movie ever. Yeah, I think a history of violence might have done a little bit better, but it was like a few dollars. And I'm sure if you adjusted for inflation, the fly would beat it pretty handily. Yeah, I mean, he has a pretty good, pretty good streak. You know, he dropped the fly and then dead ringers. And then from there, he kind of got back into his more Cronenberg stuff and did like uh, Naked Lunch, which 
is I, I'm a fan of that film, but it's definitely not like your usual like cinema going experience. And then uh, M Butterfly, which is cool, and Crash, which I saw in the theater. When I went to the theater to see it, there was like ten people in the theater. When I left, it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's that's not a horror film, is it? Uh, it's a, an erotic auto asphyxiation movie so if you're into car crashes <laughs> that's the movie for you <laughs> oh damn who's who's in that uh i want to say it's one of the arquettes i believe is is the female lead it's okay. based on the jg jg ballard book so it's like kind of hard sci-fi kind of weird dystopian sort of stuff it's cool though yeah oh cool i check that out um, i've still yet to see that one that's my the one i most want to see that i haven't yet yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I think it's I think James yeah, it's James Spader, I believe, is the is the is the male lead in that. Oh damn! I didn't know he did like two uh, movies that are like kind of erotic. Those wasn't he like the secretary as well. Yeah, yeah, secretary yeah. for sure. It's definitely his vibe. Uh, have either of you guys are, are you seen Scanners? Uh, isn't that him as well? Scanners is him. Yeah. I thought that's supposed to be like a pretty famous and good one, isn't it? I I'm to- I'm torn on Scanners. Oh. It's kind of iconic with the head exploding scene, which is like taken over. If you want a gif of someone's head exploding, that's what you're going to yeah. get. Yeah, but like <laughs> it's 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 a great movie, but it's a very very long slow burn. So if you've only seen like the gif of the guy's head exploding, like the whole movie just builds to that scene. So it's like it's like you know 80 minutes of that, and then you get three minutes of that, and it's like all right. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. The, yeah, that, that's kind of that seems like the structure of this one too. Like it's kind of just building towards like a big reveal a little bit. Uh, yes, do, do a lot of his movies follow that pattern. He definitely likes to make you you know wait for sort of for the the payoff. But yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Okay, cool. Um, Brian, any other background? Um, Chris Wallace, who did the effects, made a sequel to Fly Two in nineteen eighty nine. Never oh. seen that one. It's it's not not bad. It's it's, yeah. it's decent. Yeah. And then the, the 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 third fly is also not the worst as far as third parts go to horror films. <laughs> uh, and Cronenberg isn't involved in either of those, right? Uh, he he might have did a little bit on part two, but I don't think so. Oh okay. okay. Um, and Howard Shore did the score, who's collaborated oh. with Cronenberg eighteen times. Yeah. Uh, between film plus feature lengths and short films. Yeah. Uh, that, that score really stands out, doesn't it? Like right right away. Yeah, it does. I'm a big Howard Shore fan. I like all his scores. Yeah. Same, same. We were praising Shore on our Silence of the Lambs episode. Oh, that was him on there too. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, also, I wanted to ask you, Jason. Do many people do people like come to the coffee shop for the horror stuff? Do you get a lot of people who come in and want to talk horror, or is it like mostly locals coming in and the horror is like a bonus? Yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of locals and there's people kind of coming in looking for a, a decent cup of coffee and then they're like, oh, this is horror themed. But we definitely do get people who are just just here to spectate the horror and the coffee is just a second. So it's right. a little, little little bit of both. But yeah, it's nice. It's, it's always fun too when people kind of walk in and then the the name clicks with them and they see the brood post and they're like, oh, I get it. And then they're <laughs> like, they want to talk horror, which I love. I'm always down to talk horror with people. So nice. I. I, is there? Uh, have you guys noticed more like horror themed places pop? I, I know in Cleveland, isn't there now like a restaurant that's like horror themed? Uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, around the country, more places are popping up with that focus. You guys heard anything? Uh, I know we, we we got lumped in kind of by choice and with a, some other horror adjacent themed things in the, in the Avondale neighborhood. So we've been calling it Odd and Avondale or Odd, Oddball and Avondale, whatever they call it. But it's like 
there's the horror house over in uh, Belmont. Those are great, great people. Um, there's a uh, bucket of blood, which is like a horror record store and bookshop oh, yeah. just around the corner from the horror house. Um, then there's also like the, you know, the alleys over in Avondale now. So we, we all kind of just sort of band together and kind of, you know, recommend back and forth and tell people like about different events and stuff all the time. So that's really cool. I, I, I was saying Chicago, it's been a thing. Yeah. Brian, you getting that, any of that in Minneapolis? No, not really. I, I got to try to seek more of that out here. I haven't noticed like a thriving horror scene, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's here. Yeah, I feel like the it's a, the, the culture itself is like kind of having a bit of a resurgence or something. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, great. Any any other background, Brian, or Ohio Connection? I think I'll hit the Ohio Connection. Jason, uh, just to get a feel for your taste of horror before we keep going, though, I want to ask, like, not to put you on the spot. It doesn't have to be a top five. Maybe a handful of your favorites if you don't want to do a top five. Okay. That, that's not a problem. I could throw a handful out there. Uh, as I mentioned, I love The Brood. That's just a, a weird divorce Cronenberg horror movie that he made. Um, big Jaws fan, Creature of the Black Lagoon. Um, and then outside of that, Nightmare on Elm Street is probably the first movie that like gave me absolute... I couldn't go to sleep. had to sleep on my parents' floor in the bedroom kind of situation. Um, and as, as newer stuff goes, uh, you know, Hereditary, It Follows... Um, I also I listened to your episode on, on Hatchet. We can talk Hatchet if you want to afterwards. I'm I'm game. I own all of them on Blu-ray. I can we can, we can get into the whole series. Nice. <laughs> Do they get yeah. better or about about the same? They all they all stay about the same. It's yeah. uh, you're 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 right on the horror comedy aspect of it all. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Cool. Cool. Well, yeah. Big It Follows fan here as well, and the Brood. Uh, cool. Awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah. Classics. Um, all right, I'll do the Ohio Connection, and then we'll we'll get to the plot and stuff. So our Ohio Connection, as always, comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, swing by for some beer and some food. Now, really, anywhere in the Midwest, you've got two places you need to go hit up, so no excuses. And Alex says The Fly is a science fiction horror film about an eccentric scientist who, after one of his experiments goes wrong, slowly turns into a fly hybrid creature. Among the cast is former professional boxer George Chivalo in the role of Marky, a bar patron challenged to an arm wrestling match by Jeff Goldblum's character. Chivalo was a five-time Canadian heavyweight champion and two-time world heavyweight title challenger. He is known for having never been knocked down in his 93-bout professional career, including fights against Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and George Foreman. On December 11, 1970, Chivalo won his 63rd match by TKO over French boxer Charles Couture, at the Austin Town Fitch High School gym located in Youngstown, Ohio. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that wow. was pretty good. That was a full journey. <laughs> that was quite the journey. <laughs> to France and back to Ohio. Uh, wait, this is the guy who, who loses his hands in the movie? Spoiler alert. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but that, that guy was famous? He sustains a hand injury, and we'll leave it at that. Right. Yeah, apparently he's famous. Damn, wow. Dude was strong. A lot of Canadians in this production. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, Kurt Cronenberg, he's Canadian, right? Yeah, yes, he is. Got it. Is oh man, is uh, Jeff Goldblum Canadian? I think Ooh. he is. Oh, okay. I'm not cool. totally sure though. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I forgot to mention him and Gina Davis got married after this. You guys, you guys see that? I did know that. Yeah. Jeff Jeff Goldblum is from Pennsylvania. Oh, oh close. Whiff. <laughs> yeah. Swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah. Are you guys ready to dive into the plot then and hit the spoilers and review the film? I am ready. 
All right, cool. Hey, before we do though, do you mind if uh, we take a quick break? I, I just gotta make dinner uh, and eat, uh, and then we'll pick back up. Does that sound okay? Let's do it. All right, I'll be right back. Hey guys, sorry about that. I'm back. Uh, we, we just ordered some pizza and uh, it was pretty good. I, I don't know if you guys do this, but I, I find that it tastes a lot better when you vomit your lunch onto your dinner and then eat it. I feel like it really enhances the flavor profile. You get to mix cuisines up. You guys ever try this? Helps with the digestion. It's okay. the, the way. It really exactly. does. You, yeah. Yeah. It's like a little yeasty. You need to use the new digestion trend. Exactly. I feel like there was a... <laughs> Some video in the past few years of Alicia Silverstone like baby birding her kid or something. No, really? Or her pet. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. Weird memory. Continue. Don't Does mind that make me. you more or less uh, attracted to her? Oh, gosh. Very less. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. Uh, so yeah, we'll dive into the plot here. So this movie kicks off at a scientific convention of some sort where our main character is the scientist named Seth Brundle, and he's trying to flirt with a journalist named Ronnie. He convinces her to come back to his place to see something that he's been working on that he thinks is going to change the world. She goes to his place rather reluctantly, but um, while she's there, oh yeah, while, while she's there, he shows her these two machines that can teleport objects between them. And to prove it, he teleports a piece of her uh, pantyhose, I think? Was that? Yeah. And then she leaves impressed and ready to share this breakthrough with the world, even though he doesn't want the word getting out for some reason. Uh, she meets with her editor, this guy named Stathis, who's also her ex-boyfriend who likes to shower at her place randomly. And he's not convinced the technology is real. So when Seth comes back and asks her not to publish the article and instead partner with him to further the experiments, she agrees. And eventually the two fall in love. What did you guys think about this opening and the character setups? Uh, Jason, let's start with you. What, what did you think? Uh, I think the character, like the setup is, seems fairly realistic for the most part. You know, she's a science reporter. They meet at a, a science, whatever party, I guess those happen. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> science party. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I do kind of like that. Uh, Goldblum, uh, Seth, or whatever you want to call him, Brundlefly is kind of like naive to the whole entire situation. He's like, wait, you're a reporter. I just invited you over here to hang out <laughs> after hours in my weird, Weird meatpacking district warehouse building that didn't scare you at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, surprised she she uh, followed him there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of taken aback by that. Uh, Brian, what what did you think? Yeah, I was kind of like watching her for for cues that like she thought she was gonna get murdered. He even jokes about killing her. He's like, <laughs> now that you've seen it, I can't let you leave alive. And I would be yeah. legit scared in that yeah. scenario. Yeah. I but know. he's kind of a lovable, I mean, he's Jeff Goldblum. He's like this lovable weirdo who really feels like he doesn't know any better. Like, she even says she has other interviews, but I couldn't figure out, did he really not realize she was a journalist? Or did he know she was, but just think, oh, this is, she's not doing this for journalistic purposes. It, he just seemed kind of innocent and so involved in his work that he was yeah. socially awkward. Yeah, I think he's just kind of aloof to it all, just because he's just so into the, his whole his whole thing right yeah. at one point she's like you don't get out much do you and he's like <laughs> no you can tell that 
<laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I like his character. Uh, he's, he's, he's kind of there's something charming about him, but also like really nerdy and and kind of creepy and gawky. Yeah. Uh, what What do you guys think of like the ex, um, exposition when it comes to like the technology side, uh, like the cones, the teleportation tubes, or like uh, I don't know what do you call those uh, telepods. Telepods, yeah. Yeah. How'd you like the design on those? They're 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 pretty awesome. I think they're iconic, and you know, I think Cronenberg has said like they're based on his motorcycle at the time, like the the engine or whatever. So yeah, they they seem cool, and like you know, they they kind of do the classic, you know, we'll just blame it on quantum mechanics or something you don't understand, but they just do like they show like the here's this one I built that was old and clunky. Here's the new versions. Don't right. ask any more questions. We're just gonna go from there. Yeah, I like that. He does a good job, Cronenberg, of like making the technology in his movies like just very much the, their own thing. They don't fit into like the technology tropes from the movies of that time period. Mm-hmm. They're like either weirdly organic and look like bits of flesh and like as yeah as ex- wait existence or is it as existence? Jason, correct? I think I think it's existence, but I could totally be completely I think it, wrong. No, I think you're right. Um, but yeah, he's, it, and Crimes of the Future too. It's just like he always finds a way to make it work, and it doesn't seem super dated. Even like the computer mm-hmm. interfaces, it's not like they seem like, oh wow, that's how it is today. But it doesn't like make you roll your eyes, like oh my god, what '80s movies thought of the future. It's just oh, like yeah. its own thing. Yeah, there's something really timeless about it, the the way he shows technology and the, yeah, the, his inventions. Um, and yeah, the voice uh, activation thing on the computer, I, I thought like yeah, very similar to like the face recognition stuff we have today. Yeah, um, I mean, in 86, that was probably state of the art. So they're like, OK, this is probably realistic. Let's do it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would have believed that. Um, what did you guys think of Ronnie, though, and like her character? Because I, I feel like she's kind of uh, shitty at first in terms of like, yeah, trying to record him without him knowing and then like going behind his back to publish it even though he's against it um so i was kind of surprised at like the turn where like she falls in love with him like what are we supposed to think is she uh just using him or is this like a true romance going on here yeah they kind of leave that at least i think they kind of leave that in a a sort of open-ended space where it's like i kind of believe her because she does come back to check on him later in the movie when, when he, you know, he, all that kind of goes wrong. But so she has some sort of allegiance to him, like kind of heartfelt allegiance, but also at the same time, it's just like, is this all for the story? Because he, he talks her into the book deal thing and all that sort of stuff that she's not really into originally. Right, right. I yeah. interpreted it as at first she was like a little shady, like recording without telling him I'm about to record. Um, but so I feel like it was transactional at first, but I felt like she legitimately did fall in love with him and mm. that their relationship was authentic. I actually thought they had incredible chemistry. Yeah. I thought the chemistry was great. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense that, that they got Maybe. married shortly after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. No, I was feeling the same way. Like I was kind of confused uh, how much to believe of her here or was she like, kind of like using him for the, the piece. But yeah, I think you guys are right. Like later it does kind of become a, a solid relationship using him for the piece <laughs> yeah. that's what, that's what mean, kids like to call as yeah. a, i was like re-watching this the other day uh i totally kind of dawned on me like for being an 86 movie which would you know generally be like all right cool here's our lead love interest here's her naked I mean, that never ever happens other than the, the the nylon stocking thing it's pretty much just like 
here's a bunch of shots of Jeff Goldblum and topless, (laughs) super ripped looking jacked as ever. Yeah. (laughs) And that's all the, like all the real kind of like, other than the, when he brings home the other girl, that's the only other like real sexy stuff in there. It's just like, here's just Jeff Goldblum, Google him. That's all you're going to get. And I was like, I I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. I had no idea. He was like, he had that body underneath. That was was surprising. Yeah. He's like, he's the only like sex object in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Which is interesting because uh, Gina Davis would go on in 2004 to found the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media. Yeah. Oh, cool. Also, uh, fun Gina Davis fact, she's also uh, a member of Mensa. Oh, right. I had heard yeah. that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Smart lady. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cool. The, uh, so that's the intro. Oh, and, and I guess the other character who plays a main role here is, is Stathis, uh, or Stathis, her ex-lover slash boss uh is he's kind of cringy right like no one no one likes him yeah he's just big business he's no good for anybody <laughs> yeah okay he's running the hottest science magazine ever out <laughs> <laughs> with his license plate particle on his car yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's yeah. also just like so obsessed with gina davis's character it's like really creepy oh, yeah, right. he says some stuff though that I feel like he feels kind of authentic in like his creepiness. He's just so obsessed with her and so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> There's a quote from him when he like, fi- we haven't gotten to it yet, but he finds out like they're an item and he goes, you're a goddess. Thank you for making my most paranoid fantasies come true. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh dude, <laughs> yeah. you're like, he's yeah. so far down this path. Yeah. Super, super cringe. There's also that one where he's like, I know we're broken up or whatever, but like still benefits. And she's like, yeah. yeah go to hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a total sleaze yeah yeah but he knows it and he, like he wears it uh yeah pretty toxic uh, yeah surprising her. which uh yeah it's interesting like his story arc throughout this so uh, we'll come back to that one um but yeah moving on with the plot so ronnie and seth uh, they're getting hot and heavy uh meanwhile seth is still trying to figure out how to teleport living organisms he keeps trying to teleport these baboons but they keep turning inside out and dying and yeah you guys are right there's only one so to be fair he wasn't killing too many baboons Though, I mean, we only saw one. We only saw one. Yeah, it's possible there were more. There were more living things, for sure, because he he alludes to that. We don't know what kind of animals, but yeah. Okay. Uh, He finally figures out that the issue is that the machine doesn't understand skin, and he has to teach the machine how to recognize skin. Flesh doesn't understand flesh. Oh, Cronenberg movie. That's where the hardcore Cronenberg aspect comes in when he starts talking about flesh. Flesh, got it. (laughs) I knew this was going to be hard with the two... uh, Nerds, Cronin nerds on here. All right, cool. Flesh. So yeah, Cronenberg is all about flesh. Yeah. He, oh yeah. Long live yeah, the yeah. new flesh. All right. Uh, so somehow he teaches this to the machine, and success. He's able to transport a baboon in one piece without killing it. Him and Ronnie are ecstatic, but Ronnie slips out to confront her editor ex-boyfriend Stathis, who's become jealous of their relationship. Seth. This makes Seth jealous, and when she leaves. He gets drunk and decides to jump into the machine himself and prove it works on humans. Unbeknownst to him, a fly is also hanging out in the teleportation container. The telepod, is that what you called it? Telepod, yeah. Telepod. Uh, He teleports successfully, and when Ronnie comes home later, he tells her about it. Um, Hey, were you guys starting to feel like this might be kind of like a a uh, romance-like story between like three people at all? Were you getting like heavy drama romance here vibes like a love triangle yeah exactly <laughs> wait are you implying that there's like attraction between stathis and 
no, just like a, a complication. Like, yeah, you know, this is supposed to be like a sci-fi horror film that we're going into. But I feel like so much of this front part has been focused on the relationship between these three. Um, is that is that like bothering you or hitting you guys at all? I don't get so much of the the love triangle thing, but like they definitely have a you know they definitely work on the relationship aspect to kind of give them all a little bit of a human side to them. They're not, they're not just like here's the story hungry reporter, here's the cold hearted scientist who's aloof, and then here's the big business guy. They try to at least flesh them out a little bit. That's why I said flesh worked it in. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's fair. Brian, Brian, you agree? You yeah, I mean, like I love that they did that. I mean, they made us care. And uh, that also, I just, I felt like they kind of honored the the roots of the story and the roots of the original adaptation from 1958. I feel like so many of those sci-fi horror movies from back then are, there is like a romance at the core of it. Mm. And then, you know, the, the guy goes down a path with science versus nature type stuff and things go wrong. And uh, the first one was very much like that too. I mean, not quite, but very much based on a husband and wife so right I, I think it was cool yeah that's a good point it kind of grounds us in them and the relationships that are at stake here yeah good call uh what about his initial teleportation uh like this should have been like a huge deal because I, I know this is like what we're working up to in a big turning point in the film did you feel like it was climatic enough or i, I felt like it was slightly underproduced but what did you guys think Hmm. It happens pretty quick, and the celebration is cut short because she has to go, mm. like, have a confrontation with Stathis because of a reason I won't even get into. He like mails something to Brundle's yeah. house. Um, right. So yeah, it kind of got cut short. I was okay with it though. I feel like the movie moves fast and it's pretty efficient. But Jason, what did you think? Yeah, I think I think it works well because it's kind of like before they just kind of like here's these things, they do these things. We've done that now. We're not going to dwell on how it worked or why it worked. It just yeah. worked, and we're going to move along. And I, I'm okay with that for this this particular movie. Like, it's not so much yeah. about the how and wh- the how; it's more about the why and the ethics of it all. It's kind of the, the the drive of the story. Sure, right. They pour champagne. They give him yeah. a moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, all right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's it's more there just to like be an event that uh, kicks off the rest of the film. Uh, so things start to get weird from here. Seth becomes this new man suddenly. He's full of energy, super ripped, and he's doing crazy gymnastics. Uh, I, I thought this was really reminiscent of like 2002 or three Spider Man. You, you guys remember oh. Tim McGuire? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when he wakes up when he's got these powers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quite similar, actually. Right? Insect yeah, powers. Yeah. Yeah. When when he when he jumps on like the, the uneven bar and touching flips, I'm like, this is this is a bit much, Cronenberg. But I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> right. And like, oh, so can flies do that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know these things about flies. Are they known to be like really strong or something and have like crazy sex drives? <laughs> I'm sure yeah. they probably have some crazy sex drives. Yeah. Um. He also like wakes from his sleep and catches a fly out of midair, yeah. and I'm like, uh, another fly can't. <laughs> Catch another fly like out of midair, right? His his, his flighty sense. <laughs> flighty sense, right? Exactly. Yeah. I I uh, I do like though before he gets crosses with the the genetics, whatever the teleportation with the fly. I do like that they kind of work in, like the baboon's kind of sitting in the chair, and then they, you hear a fly kind of buzzing around, and they don't like it's not quite obvious, but you're like, oh, I see where this is going to go. But like, uh, I like I like how they kind of pepper it in slowly early on. That there's a fly in the apartment. Yeah, right. I mean the baboon is even distracted by yeah. the fly. It's a, right. 
it's a nice moment. And then they have a shot with like the fly on yeah. the window oh, with, yeah. with Jeff Goldblum in the frame too. Yeah. That was a nice way to kind of build it up to like, yeah, you're anticipating what's going to happen and introducing the fly for like a good five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Jason, have, sorry, tangent. Have you shot horror movies as well? I felt like I read Yeah, that. yeah. I, nice. I am also, I'm also a cinematographer. I've done a few horror films and some music videos and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, damn. awesome. That's awesome. We missed that in the questioning. We'll come back to that too. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Um, so, oh yeah, he's also suddenly got a sweet tooth, uh, and he's growing hair in funny places. And yeah, as we mentioned, he's got this insane sex drive that Ronnie can't really keep up with anymore. So he's getting flustered because he's got all these like new powers and things, and uh, she refuses to teleport. Um, so he goes to a bar where, uh, as Brian mentioned in the How Connection, he. Armin wrestles a stranger, breaks his hand in order to bring a girl back to his place that, uh, yeah, that, that he hooks up with. But also, she, she also won't get into the machine. Um, what did you guys think uh, thematically this was pointing to so far? Like, did you sense, was it was there a commentary here on, like, drug addiction or, like, the way he's, like, kind of becoming or the behaviors he's picking up? Did you feel like this was uh, hitting on anything else at the time? Yeah, he's definitely kind of just falling into the madness of crazy science. But I know, like, this movie touches on a lot of, like, you know, being in the mid mid, mid to late 80s, it touches on a lot of, like, uh, themes of that time. So, it's, yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I read it as drug addiction. I, then I read a lot of people interpreted it as AIDS. Yeah, that, right. like, AIDS is a big thing that people always bring up. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and I think Cronenberg, it sounds like he thought of it as just like aging and death, and no surprise from him on that one. But I, I do think it read quite a lot like drug addiction, especially he's like the stages where he goes through the metamorphosis start out just like his face is just kind of like, you know, he's getting sores on there. He looks yeah. kind of gray. Like it, it, he looks like a drug addict. And yeah, some yeah. of the stuff he says to her, he's just like, like oh suddenly like you're a drag all of a sudden or like exactly you're yeah. just jealous because I'm free and you're not or yeah. you're jealous or whatever it's just, it's it kind of screams drug addict to me for sure he definitely does that like try it like it'll feel amazing like right. exactly yeah 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 I think definitely some overlap in, in the themes there um and uh, yeah the bar scene uh, I I thought that was kind of fun and a, a cool display again of like some uh, fun gore. Um, Brian, what about uh, this woman who decides, like, hey, that guy just almost murdered somebody. I'm going to go home with him. <laughs> I've tried to do this at bars to pick up women. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see how those arm wrestling matches yeah. go. <laughs> oh, yeah, I lose them all. So maybe that's why. Ashwin's <laughs> just got two bloody stumps over there, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how he plugs in his microphone every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, those those are kind of funny scenes. Uh, were they, were you, you, do you guys think like they're playing up a comedic element here, or was this supposed to be serious? Yeah, I think it's a little serious. Like the arm wrestling thing is a little, a little kind of comedic and funny, but then when I, once they get back to his place with the, with, the, with the woman from the bar, it gets kind of in like a weird, super creepy, super rapey kind of vibe. Yeah, right. We the special effects showcase is at the end of this movie, but I thought that looked really good, the dude's hand in the oh, arm wrestling. I hand. think it's fantastic. Yeah. 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 yeah and we I don't good. know if we even mentioned how good it looked when like the I guess good is a weird term to use, but like the inside out baboon just oh, was yeah. totally disgusting. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it'll stick with you for sure. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool to get these things peppered in like throughout the beginning here as we work our way through the mm-hmm. film. Uh, so yeah, as, as you mentioned, his appearance is starting to change. His face becomes uh, catered and then like uh, starts to, I think maybe the skin's peeling or something's going on and his fingers nails start falling out. He's growing new teeth. Uh, his fingers, I think are also spewing white stuff from them. He's also now puking on his food before he eats it. Um, Cause I guess that's what flies do. And uh, we're seeing this mostly, a lot of this, we're getting a, this from a perspective of Ronnie, who's kind of dropping in on him from time to time uh, to see how he's doing and watching him transform into this cross between a human and a fly. At some points, he's like able to climb the ceiling. He's obviously got a, a sweet tooth now. So he's like eating a bunch of sweet stuff. And he's kind of like going into his own mental space uh, around like what's happening to him and starting to understand that like uh, a fly was in that machine when he went in there and his body yeah. was transforming. Uh, what you, would you guys think of? Like, I, I think this is like the transition that we're starting to see here. What do you guys think of all the effects going on here? The effects are amazing. I also just love how they uh, they kind of work in the sweet tooth aspect of it. Like, like his the trash in his partner like slowly builds up more and more. And it's like Entenmann's boxes and like Hostess cupcakes. So that's <laughs> he's just he's just eating pure sugar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this straight exactly. fly kind of meals. <laughs> yeah, the good stuff, the processed foods, <laughs> straight up sugars. Yeah. Uh, he's Brian, also you... on this like weird decline of like he's it's like a tragedy but he's also kind of funny during the transformation too like when he bars on his food in front of her it's almost like he forgets that like that's a thing he does now and he just yeah. like oh oh sorry uh that's disgusting <laughs> like, yeah my bad <laughs> yeah it's cool because like yeah mentally it seems like he's still the same dude but yeah he's just kind of like uh, adopting these behaviors or like his, his transformation it's cool. He's still got Jeff uh, Goldblum in there. He he actually he stays in in this uh, in costume the whole time. It's him the whole time, right? Yeah, it's him the whole time. Yeah, cool. The uh, only time but, it's not him in this movie is the gymnastics sequence. Oh, <laughs> which <laughs> <not> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the only thing we're like oh, I could have done this slightly better, but whatever, it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a giant pillar in front of his face. You're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they had a real insistence on like. There's got to be just some gymnastics in this movie. <laughs> Somebody yeah. like knew a guy whose son-in-law was a gymnast. <laughs> got to get him in there. Like, hey, let my boy go up there. Do some uh, reps on the thing. <laughs> it's perfect. He'll have his shirt off. No one's going to ask any questions. Uh, so Ronnie, at this time, I think she also finds out that she's pregnant with Seth's baby. Mm-hmm. And she wants to get an abortion after she has a nightmare about the baby being born as a maggot. I thought that was a really cool sequence. Uh, is that kind of an iconic one from this film? Yeah, I think so. Maggot birth, yeah. That was, that was fun. It got um, me, too. It had been a yeah. long time since I'd seen this movie. So I was like, oh, shit. And then, oh, right. dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised by that, too. Uh, so Seth overhears uh, her talking about how she's pregnant and wants to get rid of it. So he breaks into the hospital and kidnaps her taking her back to his lab where he now wants to try a super fusion where he's going to fuse himself with her and she's pregnant. So he thinks the baby as well, the three of them will become one body. She tries to escape, but at this point, Seth turns into this monstrous fly and throws her into the tele, tele telepod machine. You did it. Oh, Drop the machine if you want to be a cool kid, but whatever. Telepod, okay. you got that. Thanks. Meanwhile, uh, Stathis has shown up, and he's trying to take Seth down with the shotgun. Did you Did you guys enjoy how he like shows up with like the shotgun in a suitcase that he has like a kind of assemble while he's there? That's just pure Canadian safety right there. Yeah, (laughs) you can't carry a gun around. It's like carried around like yeah, disassembled in a suitcase. 
<laughs> Those policies work. They, yeah. they do their job. Mm. Uh, but he gets overpowered by Seth, who pukes on him and causes Sethus's hand and foot to burn off. Uh, Seth sets the teleportation device to go, but Stathis manages to shoot the cable, attaching Ronnie's telepod, freeing her from the whole contraption. Seth tries to escape the pod, and he opens the door, but it's too late. Teleportion begins, and he fuses to the device. So Seth, who's now basically this giant fly with a piece of metal door attached on his back or something, uh, he comes towards Ronnie and puts the shotgun that she's holding up uh, he he takes it and puts it up to his head, begging her to kill him. She does, and the movie ends. What do you guys think about like this final showdown at at Seth's place? Jaw dropping. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's it's a, a beautiful like human moment. Like he became this monster, and he you know kidnapped her from his hotel or the hospital, which is also crazy because he like knocks on a whole entire wall. But we'll we'll go back to that later. Uh, <laughs> he you know brings her back and forces her to do this transformation uh, teleportation thing, and then you know it fails. But he still like realizes that even as this like dying monster that like he still has humanity. And he's like, please let me have like a dignified death or whatever, and like you know goes out. Yeah, Brian, what you, would you think? Yeah, man. I mean, the effects are incredible. It's so gross. Like there's, he's like melting Stathis's arms and feet and like snapping them off. It's so interesting to me because like Ashwin, you talked about the relationships and everything in this movie. I feel like this is a movie I could so easily have seen critics and audiences at the time being like, oh, this is just like a gross, disgusting horror movie. But people loved it. And I feel like the relationship up front and then you've got like Howard Shore's like big cinematic score, like it all just lends a lot of authenticity and sincerity to this movie. So mm-hmm. when this gross shit starts happening, it's just it's gross, it's horrifying, great practical effects, but it's also like emotional and impactful. Yeah, right. Yeah, like like uh, yeah, there's a human element under all of it. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Like, yeah, the, the effects here are incredible. Uh, great, like action sequence. The, the how he's like revealed is amazing. I feel like that's like what we're waiting for throughout the whole movie is like him to fully transform. Um, so y- you guys think him putting the gun to his head at the end? Um, like, what if he hadn't? Would would he? He like I I figured he was dead anyway because he had like a big metal thing coming out of him. So I thought it was just like he was in so much pain he wanted to kill himself. But was your guys read more that? Um, he was uh, like saving the other two. I, th- I think it's kind of the as I sort of said before. It's he's still he's still more human than fly. So it's kind of this weird sort of human moment of like, I know I'm gonna die, but I don't want to suffer. So please, you know, end my life. Okay, got it. Yeah. So it was about like his suffering and putting an end to it. Yeah, and I, I do think he doesn't want to hurt anybody. I, I, there is a line. This was a line that like kind of hit me. He's like, I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. I'm yeah. saying I'll hurt you if you stay. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. that was a weird. There were shadows of drug addiction in that line, too. And it was just another example of how this movie kind of it was emotionally impactful for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was actually some really like poetic dialogue throughout. I feel like he was like saying some really smart things that, that hit on a bunch of interesting themes throughout the film like identity politics and stuff. It was, it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cool. Yeah. So uh, 
Jason, uh, what, what were your thoughts? What, what, what worked here? What didn't work? Uh, this movie, I love it front to back. It, it, it almost all completely works for me. Like, I have very little negative to say about this movie. Anything other than the, the weird body double <laughs> gymnastics scene, it's, it's, <laughs> it's all pretty, pretty spot on and pretty fantastic. Okay, nice. Okay, Brian? I feel like I'm in the same boat. I have like no complaints about this movie. The only... I don't even know if it's a complaint, but an observation. Like the flesh stuff gets pretty on the nose from Cronenberg. For sure. Like how often he says flesh. And then Gina Davis is like kissing him for the first time they have sex. And she's like, I want to eat you up. It's just how moms say they want to eat their babies. It's the flesh. It drives you crazy. Mm. <laughs> I just feel like if someone said that about a baby well, after you had sex with them, you might be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But it it leads to an epiphany, so it works out. It does, yeah. <laughs> All right. This is a steak epiphany. Uh, and then he he also has Goldblum say, like, I guess I don't know enough about the flesh. I'll have to learn. And then on his, like, what seems like symbolically like a drug-fueled bender, he's like, uh, that's the problem with society. It never, like, cares about the flesh or something like that. Oh, <laughs> it's man. It's like all these ways to work in the flesh felt mm-hmm. a little... Ham fisted, no flesh pun intended. But it's Cronenberg, so it almost is charming at that point. Um, but other than like that, I love. Game. What's that? It becomes like a drinking game at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I uh, loved everything else about this movie, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, cool to hear you guys are, are so into this. Um, oh, I mean, one of the problems I had in it, it sounds like uh, you guys didn't feel this, but you, you didn't feel like the relationship. I mean, the only three people in this movie really. Um, so the scale of what's happening is small, which I guess is that that's pretty common for Cronenberg, right? Like, I feel like none of his movies are ever like the whole world is in danger or something or there's like no. a big city, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, like even in Videodrome, it is it is the whole world eventually, but it's still centralized to, uh, was it Pittsburgh or whatever Videodrome takes place? Oh, yeah. Pittsburgh and yeah, somewhere in Canada as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, I uh, think that's Toronto. That they're in? I know I'm obsessed with thinking Pennsylvanian things are Canadian, but... I wanted to say Videodrome was Toronto, but maybe I'm over two. I, th- I think you're right. I think at one point though they mentioned P- going to Pittsburgh because it's warmer down there or something. That's yeah. I think I think that's that's where the uh, broadcasting is happening from is Pittsburgh. Oh, oh, right. okay, all right, right. Um, yeah, but uh, you guys didn't feel like the character development was rushed here. Like, uh, I know you, I know you mentioned like the chemistry is good. And I, I agree there, but the relationship and like how quickly she falls in love with this guy who. Uh, I mean, I get it. He's like got a great body and everything, um, but outside of that, he's kind of like a, a dork and a nerd and like obsessed with like this project. You guys f- didn't find like that hard to buy into or believe? No, it didn't bother me at all. I mean, it is definitely a, a fast rush relationship, but I think because they they give you her past the Statler, whatever the heck his name is, <laughs> uh, that you you get exactly. to kind of see, you get to see this you know creepy dude who's like still Shimmer House taking a shower, and then you also get this kind of, like, caring, loving Jeff Goldblum character, and you're like, oh, she has this new kind of, like, looking for someone who's a little more heartful and tender. So it, mm. it, it, it works for me in that that sort of, that vibe. Also, you don't really know how, how long, he is transforming the whole entire time, but you don't really know how, how much time has gone between the initial and the, this thing, you know? It's not, it's never, like, addressed like, this was a two-week span, it was you know? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think 
his name is so weird, Stathis Borans or Stathis Borans or whatever. She mentions she was a science major and he was a teacher. So yeah. it does seem like that was a long relationship. Uh, He's clearly not a good dude. So I would back Jason up with like, I could see her being like, oh, okay, like this is something something new. Yeah. Uh, as a big 30 Rock fan, Stathis really reminds me of like Den- Liz Lemon's Dennis Duffy. Like, <laughs> basically like yeah you'll you'll be back my pager still works he'll page me <laughs> yeah. yeah uh this dude is basically well, a beeper king yeah uh on, on, speaking of stat this uh do, do you, his arc like i mean he's like as we mentioned at the top he's like pretty cringy toxic dude like really open about like his feelings for her and like trying to hook up with her at the end he's kind of like a hero maybe uh, did, did you guys feel weird about his arc at all? He's he's a hero through jealousy. I don't I don't know quite. I, I'm I'm okay with how how you know he he get he still loses a hand and a foot. <laughs> so tragic. It, yeah. it, it didn't like you know didn't quite work out for him, but he still has a science magazine. He's the king of the king. He's taken down Wired early on before Wired was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the OG, right? Yeah. He also has incredible aim. Speaking of wires, he like shoots the wire in one shot that yeah. oh my God, connects yeah. the machines or whatever. Yeah, with one hand. Yeah, yeah I, I was definitely shot. I thought for sure he would shoot the, like the main computer and just take it all out, but he, he shoots the, the wire. I was like, that's a lucky guess. That's a good yeah. you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, We've talked good... about that before in movies, that everyone seems to have an immediate understanding about how complex mechanisms work, and if they just, like, <laughs> pull this lever in a factory, the whole thing shuts down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad... I'm glad I didn't have the classic trope of like as the self-destruct button <laughs> like flies oh. <laughs> working to things. Has <laughs> the countdown going? Here's that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, you guys didn't feel um, so. I, I thought as the audience, like obviously in the beginning, you're anchored on Jeff Goldblum, but then as he starts to change, he kind of becomes. This, do you guys feel like he's a villain at the end, or what are your feelings about him? Yeah, in a way. I mean, he's still. It's a. I feel like it's a common story archetype of just like the degradation of somebody, both physically and mentally in this case. Like he he's overcome by his greed. And so many of these sci-fi horror movies are like cautionary tales on science and discovery and technology and oh you've gone too far and something shouldn't be messed with. At least that's like what so many of the fifties movies mm-hmm. were like. And I, I feel like that's just very true here as well. And I think his greed and like quest for the to like do this is kind of his downfall, I guess. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. And and uh, yeah, okay. And then uh, yeah, I, I I felt like their role switch for like Stathis is like the bad guy at the beginning, but at the end he's like the savior. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's still like kind of driven from. I don't know. He he come he becomes pretty sympathetic towards the end because uh, he is helping Ronnie. You know, like he becomes like the resource for her, like helping her find a doctor for the abortion and then like looking out for her when she gets kidnapped and stuff. So uh, I feel like there's like a bit of a, a switching from like one good guy becomes a bad guy and the other bad guy becomes a good guy. But um, may- maybe it's not as like cut and clear as that. Maybe maybe it's messier. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah, uh, complex characters. I'd still I'd still qualify him as a sleaze, but he's complex, too. He's got some good to him. Yeah, complex. I mean, for yeah. for being like a pretty tight ninety-two minute whatever movie is, like it, everything is pretty well fleshed out. Like, 
all the, all the, the three main characters and even the, the, the one random person he brings home, like you still mm-hmm. feel for that person. And you're not just like, oh, whatever. She's just like, you know, random bar pickup. But like you, they do, they do a good job making feel for everybody. That's true. Yeah, no throwaway characters. Who did you guys feel like was the main character? Was the was it Jeff Goldblum or are we like seeing the movie and like what's happening through uh, Gina Davis's eyes? I think it's all Brundlefly. He's the he's the he's the main character. Okay, you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. They're both introduced at the exact same time, which is interesting. But (laughs) yeah, I'd still say Seth is the main character. Boy, I mean, and I think part of your complaint too, Ashvin, is. And I noticed it too, but I wasn't against it. It just jumps. We jump right in. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. we're at the party. They don't say what kind of party it is. We just see people and some, like, scientific things around and cocktails. And they're talking, and then they go back to his place. And we yeah. just jump right in. But I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. I like it too. Like, it doesn't, like, water it down in the beginning or, like, have to spell things out for you. It's, it's kind of cool to start, like, mid-conversation almost. Um, but I do feel like the second half of the film, uh, Jeff Goldblum is is kind of absent, and it's more on. I feel like the story switches to Gina. She's finding out she's pregnant. She's like, uh, I mean, because Jeff's like not leaving the apartment, and we're only seeing him when like she comes to the apartment and interacts with him. So I feel like the narrative, the the narrative view, kind of switches halfway through. Um, I, I I can see that for sure. Yeah. 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 It's, we get some fun glimpses of him, like keeping a collection of his body parts that have fallen off behind the medicine cabinet. Oh man. yeah. <laughs> what is, then, what is he? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You, you also kind of get the, an, an idea that he, he may or may not be leaving his house to spy on her. Cause you get that, like that shot of him on the roof, like watching down they're leaving. Oh yeah. And, like, you know, so you, you know, he's possibly leaving his place and kind of like is there in the background, but you don't know for sure. Oh, good mm. point. Yeah. 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 I never thought about that, but yeah, he could be stalking her. Um, any other themes you guys picked up on watching this? Uh, I mean, we talked about like the drug addiction metaphors, maybe, or um, uh, yeah, it sounds like Cronenberg was out to make a film about uh, disease and aging. Uh, anything else stand out to you guys? I mean, the, the you know, she she kills him in the end, so the kind of that choice of, and also she wants to have an abortion, kind of one of the things. So like that whole aspect of like the right to die and like choosing your, your body and your, your, your control over that is also a very big part of the movie. That's for, that's still kind of surprising me for a 1986 movie. Yeah. Good point. I was wondering if like, yeah, there's a commentary here on abortion control of a body. So, uh, yeah, I feel like the seventies and eighties movies, I, Brian, like I feel like we've seen that in a few of those old movies, right? Like Rosemary's baby and stuff. Uh, those themes are coming mm. up back then as well. Yeah, for sure. Progressive themes. And yeah, Cronenberg, it seems like based on the themes of a lot of his movies, he's just kind of concerned of like his own like failing body or like the eventual failing of his body and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right to die is an interesting, interesting thing to bring up. Just like, what's it going to be like to die? How miserable will you be? What kind of phases will you go through? Will you no longer be yourself, depending on what kind of disease it might strike you so right yeah definitely themes like that uh yeah have we mentioned flesh that's in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> wait, i think wait. oh go ahead i was like with it with cronenberg's latest uh, crimes of the future like that one is a that one's like it's, it's like cronenberg looking back on his retrospect his own work because he talks like he's literally he's literally lifting his own quotes from other movies he's said about, about his films that are dialogue in the movie which is pretty fun but like it's also about this sort of like flesh as performance art like kind of you know 
controlling your body and do what you want with it. So it's always been a thing. Cronenberg's always been about, I think it's just, that's just Cronenberg. That's really interesting. I, I, I didn't know that he had that theme running through his work. Is that, uh, you know, one of the things they call out in this film early on is uh, he always has like wears the same suit every day. He's got like the same clothes. Is that like a, a metaphor about like the flesh thing? Uh, is that like supposed to be like representation of his, his flesh or something? He, he drops he drops that Einstein thing about how Einstein wore the same thing every day just because you you wake up and you don't have to think about it so you can you can focus on the real issues at hand so I think that's just I'll I take it at face it. value sure. yeah 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 another thing to support how like singularly focused he is and otherwise awkward in other aspects of life yeah right <laughs> yeah that that's who I thought he was so I'm, I'm surprised to hear you guys say uh, that like there was like some part of him that was loved by or like lovable. For that uh, th- that Ronnie found uh, attractive because yeah I feel like all I knew about him is he's a uh, he's he's really into science but yeah there's probably like a, a tenderness especially compared to the other guy the, the mm-hmm. guy. Um, Do you find Jeff Goldblum himself a charming person, Ashvin? Uh, usually, yeah, yeah. I guess he usually is. Like there's something like in in his like uh yeah performances that uh grows on you over time. So yeah, I guess I I could see where she's coming from. What do you? <laughs> Yeah, I do. I, I'm just trying to figure out what more David Goldblum could have done for you in this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Some, somehow cinema finds a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, cool. All right. Oh, and then uh, the, the last question for you guys. Uh, what, what about any commentary on technology uh, in light of, yeah, te- technology's place in human society or in society? Yeah, in culture. You think there was any uh, commentary there on like how man can invent like something so powerful that can be undone by something as small as a fly, or uh, what, what was going on here? Yeah, I, I, this kind of falls more into that the hubris of man. Like he, you know, he it makes this cool invention to like change travel and how how you know how society runs as a whole, but then he also becomes, you know despite the flyer not being in there, like he becomes the hoop, the hubris gets to him and he's just like, becomes like, I'm amazing. This thing feels so great. And then that's his downfall. It's like his, his pride of it all. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. It doesn't seem like a prominent theme in the story, but it's just like a ever present theme in these types of stories to me. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You fall victim to your own thing. I noticed in the beginning, he, when he's riding in the car with her, he's car sick and he's like, Oh, I hate vehicles. Kind of a bit of like foreshadowing. Yeah, definitely a little bit of foreshadow because he doesn't like to travel. <laughs> oh. oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Good call. That's a good one. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else or should we jump to the score? Yeah, I want to ask Jason, uh, like how, I guess, when did you get started with some of the cinematography stuff and how does it change the way you view and, you know, review movies and, and, are there movies that you saw before and then go back and appreciate or oh, did yeah. it open up a new layer of appreciation? There's, there's definitely movies, you know, I uh, just became a similar. I went to film school and then I didn't know what I wanted to be, uh, have a concentration as I do in college. And then I went to go see uh, a 70 millimeter presentation of Apocalypse Now in 2001. And like while sitting and watching those, I was like, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to be a shooter. Like, this is what I like about cinema. I love this framing and how it looks and how it's lit. Um, so yeah, it definitely changes your perspective of, of movies trying to watch it. I try to turn off my filmmaking brain when I'm watching things and just kind of enjoy them the first time watching through and then go back and rewatch it. 
but you know this one uh mark Irwin shot it and he shot a ton of other really really fun films i think like three or four cronenberg movies if i remember correctly um so yeah this is this movie's shot wonderfully it looks great um yeah 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 he did the brood scanners videodrome the dead zone fast company maybe more of of his he also did scream yeah i know he did scream and i think he shot robocop 2 nice and then and then he kind of goes into a weird like because they, they kind of go hand in hand like horror and comedy but he goes from horror and then he moves into like and then he starts shooting like the zucker the zucker movies like i think it was like scary movie three and i think something something about mary yeah so it's a bunch of bunch of comedies in his later years <laughs> old school dumb and dumber yeah 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 he did yeah the original I, was, I was looking wondering about that because i it's interesting what you said too where you like try to turn off that part of your brain the first watch and then go back because there's so many times when the two of us are like watching a movie to review and i'm like oh i just got so lost in the the story and everything i wasn't really even paying attention so yeah yeah i, I couldn't even like say too much about how this movie was shot other than n- it, everything seemed great to me mm-hmm. yeah no bad shots here it's it's done really good yeah really well and like pretty fluid uh i thought the settings were really neat as well like his, his apartment was really well done and yeah it gets more and more cluttered as the film goes yeah bringing I mean, the chaos I- for, for the most part, it's like a one-room movie. It's just like his his apartment, and that's kind of the extent of it, with a few outside scenes, but it mostly takes place all in his his apartment. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a very uncluttered movie, both in the like editing and the shots and the characters, the plot and pacing. Mm-hmm. This, there are no Cortados in this <laughs> piece. <laughs> I didn't go into waste there. Very little waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then he does bl- uh, break open a, a hospital wall, so he's he's a pretty strong dude. Yeah, the, the wall seems pretty ridiculous, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, is Cronenberg known for like being schlocky at all, or does that not usually apply to his work? I don't think schlocky applies to him. Okay. It's almost like an elevated form of schlocky, schlockiness. Yeah. It's just like he'll do. It's like the visual of the baboon inside out. I feel like some of his movies have that, where you just feel like you're watching a drama, and then all of a sudden there's a a certain scene or a shot where you're like, oh, oh, this is what kind of movie this is gonna yeah. be. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll oh, do yeah. it. Yeah, there's some. I'll say Cronenberg cheese, but yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I won't call it schlock. <laughs> right. Sure. It always feels more grounded in a more like sincere, authentic, like yeah. It all, I want to say all... professional, like. It always feels earned. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good way to put it. Yeah. I think he pulls you into a universe where like, yeah, you believe everything and nothing seems like, uh, yeah, too, too mm. ridiculous or out of scope. Great. Uh, anything else or should we jump to the score? Yeah, nothing at the moment. All right. I'm cool. ready. Let's do it then. Uh, let's use zero to five inside out baboons. Uh, Brian, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give this five out of five inside out baboons. I think the performances, dialogue and effects elevate what could be a run of the mill cautionary tale about the dangers of scientific discovery to an emotional and horrifying masterpiece. I loved it this time. That's awesome. Uh, Jason, how about you? Yeah, I think originally I was four baboons on my uh, my letterbox, but now I'm going to push it into the, the five echelon. Also, it's it's almost a perfect movie for me. So I'll, I'm five baboons inside out damn that's awesome nice nice uh, yeah i gave it a four back when we watched it like 10 years ago and i'm yeah i'm bumping up a whole whole baboon yeah. as well wow 
That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I damn, I, I'm that like I only came in at four Inside Out baboons. Uh, agree with everything you said. Sci-fi drama. It's, it's really carried well by the practical effects. I thought those were incredible throughout this movie, and I, I think uh, definitely top-notch '80s practical effects. <laughs> Amazing performance by Jeff Goldblum uh, and the sharp themes uh, in in the dialogue. But yeah, I, I feel like I could have had more uh, character development uh, or relationship build up between Gina Davis and uh, the Stathis guy. Um, it, or or like an expansion of the threat, but I, I guess yeah, that's not Cronenberg's uh, bread and butter here. He's kind of mm-hmm. focusing in on like two or three characters and telling a strong story. Makes sense. I hear your complaint about that for sure, but I also feel like the chemistry between the two of them and the dialogue seemed so natural. That went a long way in terms of character development. Yeah, I think I think that at home in the shower scene kind of sets up this like, oh, they have a past history. Yeah, I don't need to ask any questions. Let's just roll with That's it. All you gotta know. Yeah. Um, what I, I guess uh, part of me, like the whole second half, was wondering why Gina Davis kept going back to the apartment. Was it out of concern, or did she have hope that something better might happen? Uh, like, were they still officially an item? What What do you guys think was going in, on in her head about the whole situation? I think it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's like a, a love kind of connection, but I think there's still some sort of connection there for sure. And okay. I think she also maybe feels partially responsible because she's she's kind of the catalyst for his his new discoveries. Oh, I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Yeah, and her like storming off, not storming off due to him, but like marching out to like go confront Stathis. That was a... Not it's not her fault, but mm-hmm. like that was just on the heels of a big discovery, like a big moment for the two of them, and he got drunk and upset. Like I'm not saying she should feel responsible, but that that could add to to her guilt. I do think there. I do think she was falling in love with him, but yeah, but okay, yeah, so. open. Uh, there's a lot open for interpretation because of the pacing and because it moves fast. I don't. I don't think that's a bad thing for this movie. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Doesn't spell everything out, leaves some for the audience to kind of think through. I thought uh, she was kind of funny in this, too. They were both funny. There was a few lines that just had me, like, laughing out loud. She's about to eat the steak that he, like, sent through. And she goes, mm-hmm. are you serious? A monkey just came apart in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, for being a dark sci-fi dystopia movie, like, it's it has some pretty good humor to it. Yeah. Yeah, some charming moments. Awesome. Yeah, before we wrap up here, uh, Jason, you want to uh, sh- tell our audience more about The Brood and uh, any, yeah, film, we'd love to hear more about your film background as well. Oh, yeah. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, The Brood, we're open seven days a week. Uh, we're at 2843 North Milwaukee in Avondale in Chicago. Uh, TheBroodCoffee.com for whatever you need to find out that I remember to post on the website. <laughs> or uh, I think, uh, depending on when this drops, I think our next in-store event is May 11th. And we're showing The Fanatic. If you've never seen that movie, uh, you're in for a real treat. It's directed by Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit fame. Oh, my God. Nice. <laughs> uh, starring uh, John Travolta uh, doing things that no human should ever really do for a movie role. But uh, it's, it's, it's a good time. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, anywhere we can check out, like, some of the films you've worked on? Uh, yeah, if you just um, you Google me or whatever, but I have there's I have short films floating around in music videos. I've done uh, videos for like uh, Tribe Called Quest and Wu Tang Clan and a bunch of other people. So um, I've been around as a, as a shooter. I've also done some videos for First Jason, who's like the original Jason Voorhees. He's a Chicago guy. Uh, yeah, just just Google me and I'll, I'll come up or just go on IMDb. 
Awesome. Props to your humility for for not for waiting this long to tell us. Well, I don't think you even told us that you had a cinematography background. Oh, yeah, that's something <laughs> that's I do point. for fun. <laughs> that's awesome. That's- yeah, that's do you, really cool. Do you feel like there's anything, I don't know if this is a difficult question to answer, do you think there's anything, movies in general, or horror specifically, that is something viewers really take for granted about cinematography that's actually like really hard to get right or super nuanced? I don't know if that question even makes sense. No, it makes sense. I know a lot of times people will watch a movie and, you know, they... The directors do have the the official final vision of it all, and like they'll be like, "Oh, this movie was shot really well. This director did a really really great job." But nine out of ten times, it's the the cinematographer gets that script and sits down, and they kind of put it all together, and with some help from the director, obviously. But the cinematographer is usually the one making the, the kind of the final lensing and lighting and that kind of stuff. It's usually up to the to the the camera department. Right. So like the look and feel, and really structure to an extent. It sounds like right. Some, sometimes they definitely have a, a pretty good hand in that. And also, like people also forget, like art department makes a good good decision. Cinematographers and art department often work often work together hand in hand because they're making color tones and that sort of stuff. But you know, the director has the final say so on that, and also has a lot of input and whatever. But I think it's often neglected. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Good call. Uh, in in horror, like uh, who, who's like your favorite cinematographer? In horror, wow. Um, they haven't done too much horror uh, recently, but uh, Janusz Kaminski, who's Spielberg's uh, cinematographer, has has shot some. He's kind of cut his teeth shooting low-budget horror films in the early or late 80s. Also shot Cool as Ice by Vanilla Ice. People don't know that. He has, uh, I think, four or five Academy Awards, and he shot Cool as Ice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll have to look him up. That's awesome. That's awesome. Great. Well, yeah, thanks so much for uh, joining the show uh, and sharing, yeah, your... your uh, your your uh, brand with us and uh, yeah your background and like yeah we really value your insights on on this film and uh, yeah if you're listening to the show and you're in the Chicago area check out the Brood a really cool coffee shop love the way you guys have it designed inside a lot of cool things to look at in there thank you and great drinks um, but yeah thanks and yeah hope hope to have you on again soon yeah thanks for having me I had, I had a good time so happy to do it again cool thanks awesome. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on the fly. If you enjoyed our episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find our show. And we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join in the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Instagram in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord where we're chatting up with some other horror fans. Uh, you can find the link to that on our website. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can find her and some merchandise for our show on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're thinking about doing some uh, crazy scientific experiments, make sure you have a friend or a buddy on hand uh, with the fly swatter uh, to keep any kind of like unwanted things uh, out of the experiments and remain human. Or to use on you afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Swat, swat you down. Yeah.